Could I start by asking you a question this morning? What is the name of one of your favorite songs that we sing? Shout out a name. What's the name? Shout to the Lord. What's, what's one of the names of the, one of our favorite songs that you sing? Or your favorite? What's the name? Amazing Grace. What else? Because He Lives. I Need You. How Great Thou Art. What is it? The Offering. Anybody else? Song. Victory in Jesus. The reality is, right, as you think through your favorite song, um, it, it can be for many reasons. Maybe it's a song that you grew up with and you remember and it reminds you of time back with maybe parents or grandparents. For others of you, maybe a song really stands out because it spoke to you in a season of life and those lyrics just seem to, to grab and captivate your heart like, man, that's exactly what I was going through. I, I just those words seem to be singing the words that were on my heart and mind. And I think we all just feel drawn to different songs for different reasons. And so when it comes time today, as we think about singing the word and the planning of our songs here, I think it's important that we don't ask the question, what is our preference, right? That there's a dangerous ground when we begin to think is like, what, what do I like? What do I really want to hear? Or what might appeal to the most people? I think the reality is we must begin asking ourselves, what has God directed us to sing in accordance with his word? Or maybe better yet, what is God's preference? Like, what does God prefer? And I think as we look today to Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to hear this truth. That spirit-filled believers sing the word. Those who are filled with God's spirit have a delight, a joy in singing the word. I think the reality is we could all admit that we're drawn to churches and different places for different reasons. Right? We, as we think through services and what we enjoy or what we like about that church, there's different reasons why. And Pastor Ligon Duncan reminds us there's a danger in that, is that sometimes we can become like consumers. Like, did I like the music today? Did I like the preaching today? Did I like Sunday school today? And I think Pastor Duncan asked us to maybe ask different questions. Maybe like, how did the congregational singing help me worship God? Was the congregational singing filled with the scriptures and the truth of God's word? It reminds us that what's important or primary when we come to worship is not ourselves, but first God. And Paul is after that in Ephesians chapter 5. It's interesting as Paul deals with uh, what he's writing throughout this, this letter, is the first three chapters, Paul talks about different truths of the gospel. And then in chapter 4, verse 1, there's this word, therefore. And so for the next three chapters, chapter 4, 5, and 6 of Ephesians, Paul tells us, how does it look to live out the gospel? If we truly believe what the Word of God is saying about who we are in Christ, then this is how we are to live differently. And so Paul's going to say that we are to take off the old self and to put on the new. And he begins to talk about that here in Ephesians chapter 5 when he says, don't get drunk. Instead, he says, be filled with the Spirit. So Paul begins to tell us about this Spirit-filled life. And most of us, when we think about the Spirit-filled life, we probably think about these different attributes of this is what it looks like to be a Spirit-filled person. And maybe a certain individual comes to your mind. But Paul, interestingly, when he talks about the Spirit-filled life, begins to address how we actually talk to one another. And Paul says that one of the marks of the Spirit-filled life is how we sing. It's how we sing. So listen to God's word here just for a moment. Ephesians chapter 5. I want to read it to you. Verses 18 to 21. He says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. The Christian standard calls it reckless living. So he says, Don't get drunk with wine. That leads to reckless living. 
But he says, be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Paul in this text, I think, maybe answers for us three important questions. Number one, why do we sing? Secondly, who do we sing to? And then third, what should we sing or what do we sing? So let's look through that this morning, answering those maybe three big questions. Number one, why do we sing? And I think Paul answers for us the reason why that we sing is because we are filled with the Holy Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit launches us to sing the Word. Now that statement itself that we sing because we are filled with the Holy Spirit has several other implications. Number one, it assumes that you have the Holy Spirit, that you've been born again. And then secondly, it implies that there's this ongoing filling, this ongoing relationship that happens as the Holy Spirit has ownership of the believer's life. So let's look to it, the first truth, right? That we've received the Holy Spirit. Paul talks about that as he rewinds the text back in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 to 14. Listen to what he says there. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. So listen to Paul as he talks to us a little bit about what happens in the transformation of an individual's life. He says, listen, first he says that we are to hear the word of the truth. He calls this the gospel of our salvation, right? He's speaking about the good news of Jesus. His brother Todd just led us through a time of praying over our community. We are praying that they might hear the word of the truth, the gospel of salvation. And then Paul says that not only are we hearing it, but he says that we are believing in him. There's a response to this gospel. He says, for those who hear this word and they believe on it, he says that something now takes place, a third action, they are now sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. He says, this is now God's guarantee or promise to you that if you have the Spirit of God, that you are truly a child of God and God will never forsake you. That's what he says in Ephesians 4 and 30. He says, if you've received the Spirit, then this is the guarantee that you are God's child both now and forever. And so Paul is writing there, but it's interesting, right, that what God is doing in us of hearing this Word and believing it and then receiving the Holy Spirit, being sealed with the Holy Spirit. Why? Because... Well, as Paul talks in Ephesians chapter 2, he tells us some bad news, right? The gospel is good news, but that inevitably means there must be bad news. And the bad news is, Paul says in verse 1 that you and I are spiritually dead in our sin. We're dead. In verse 2, he goes on to say that we're actually under the influence of Satan. And then in verse 3 of Ephesians 2, he says that we, like the rest of the world, are after our own passions and desires. And that situation sounds hopeless. But then Paul says those marvelous words in verse 4 of Ephesians 2. But God. But God who is rich in mercy. God who is not tight-fisted with his love and forgiveness, but open-handed. It says, but God who is rich in mercy made us alive together with Christ. It's God who does this mighty work as we hear the gospel. As we believe the gospel. And then we are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So today we are singing in response to, as he says in verse 7 of Ephesians 1, in Him, in Him, in Christ, 
We have redemption. We have been bought. Think who God bought. He bought us who were enslaved in sin, under the influence of Satan, spiritually dead, looking for our own passion and desires. And God goes and says, I'll take that one. There's no, I mean, we wouldn't wouldn't choose ourselves to be on that team. But God, in His marvelous grace, brings the gospel to us. We hear this gospel. We believe it and are sealed. And so Paul says, in Him, in Christ, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. We sing, why? Because we are now in Him. We have been redeemed. We are those who have been brought back. We are those who have been forgiven Right, it's the joy as we confess our sin week by week in this place, as we take time to repent, what hope that we have that we can be forgiven, that we can be redeemed by God. This is the why of our singing. We ask, why do we come in this place and sing? Because of who our God is and what He has done for us. Our hearts are full. They're exploding with joy and delight in worshiping Him. So the question might be is, how can we keep from singing? How can we keep our mouths closed? But what's interesting is, as Paul talks here, that being sealed doesn't mean that you are continually filled. That's what's interesting. Right? So we said that. Why do we sing? Well, we said because spirit-filled believers sing the word. And so we began to deal with the fact that we're first sealed. We receive the Holy Spirit at the moment of hearing the gospel and belief on it, repentance and faith, that moment when the Spirit comes to indwell us. But now Paul tells us in Ephesians 5, verse 18 here, He says, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, that's reckless living. But he says, be filled with the Spirit. This field indicates this ongoing action that's happening. So we've been sealed, right, back here in verse 13 of Ephesians chapter 1. And now Paul is telling us something different in verse 18. He said that the ongoing lifestyle of the believer is one in which they are filled with the Spirit. So listen to what Paul says. He tells us in verse 18 something that we are to stop doing and something that we should be doing, right? Paul is a good parent. I'll be honest, at times I'm really good at saying don't do that, but often I fail to struggle to say this is how you should do it, right? It's like quit, stop, leave your brother, quit. Instead of just taking time to say, no, this is what I want you to do. This is how this should look in this moment. Paul is just this great spiritual father who not only tells his children what not to do, he tells his children also what they are to do, how to get it right. It's a great moment. Look what he says. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Well, think about it. When drunkenness happens, right, what Paul is clearly condemning here, he says, again, do not. This is something you are not to do, is to get drunk with wine. He says it leads to this reckless living, this way in which the wine now begins to occupy your thoughts, your motives, your desires. It leads to sinful actions. So Paul says, don't do that. Instead, here's what you are to do. He says, instead, you are to be filled with the Spirit. Why? It's just because those are an indication there's a war, right? There's a spiritual war going on for your heart and mind, your thoughts, your motives, your desires. And if you're under the influence of this or under the influence of the ways of the world, then you can't walk in the spirits, what Paul's saying. He's talking about them being at war with one another. And so when Paul says that we are to be filled with the spirit, he's telling us that we ought to have the fullness of Christ. He wants us to live filled with Christ, enjoying, delighting in him. That's really what he's been making throughout the letter. Listen to these different moments. He talks about this field or fullness. In Ephesians 1, verse 23, he says, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all. He says, Christ is the fullness of God. Christ fills all things. In Ephesians 3 and 19, 
He says that we are to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So knowing, growing in the Word of God allows you to grow, to be more filled with God and the fullness of Christ. In Ephesians 4 and 10, it says, He, Christ, who descended, is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that He might fill all things. So Christ's ascension back to the Father is that He might have glory and preeminence over all things. Verse 13 of Ephesians 4, Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Christians are to continue striving for the fullness of Christ. This is walking in the Spirit. This is being filled with the Spirit. And Paul's talking about it throughout this letter. And so we would ask Paul, well, Paul, how do we do that? How do we live this Spirit-filled life? I assume if you're a believer, you hear Spirit-filled life, you say, man, I want that life. Again, many of you have had godly examples. That was a grandparent or a parent. It was that Sunday school teacher you grew up with. It's a godly saint as you scan the pews now and think through people in this room. You may think through people that are no longer here, that have now gone on to be to glory. But you can, you can remember the way they acted, the way they respond. You remember hearing them pray. You saw their Bible and just the love they had with God and the markings and, and the way in which they carried it. You saw how they responded in difficult situations. You saw their faith in the midst of great trials. There's so many things about those people you hear and think. But when Paul writes here and he talks about being filled with the Spirit, it's interesting. He says in verse 18, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And then listen to what Paul says how we are to express the fullness of the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. What's Paul's point? As we talk about the Spirit-filled life, we're talking about singing. Paul is saying, listen, I want you to know that Spirit-filled singing has the aim, the fullness of Christ. This is why week after week we work to say, what in this song is helping our people think about the life, the death, the resurrection, the ascension, the return of Christ? It's with Paul asking all of us this morning to ponder this question. Am I spirit-filled? Wrestle with that for a moment. Are you spirit-filled? Paul would ask if so, are you joining the church and singing the word? I shared the illustration before, but man, one of the greatest impacts upon my life was Sunday after Sunday, standing there as a young boy and hearing my dad sing. It wasn't because he was the greatest singer. He was singing, though. And then when I saw how he lived Monday through Saturday, I realized, man, this brother isn't perfect, but a lot of what I see in his life is matching the things he sings on Sunday morning. It just transformed me. And so part of me being, right, it's just a reflection that I had a singing dad. So now in some ways I'm a singing son. It's just he modeled that. He showed that. Might we also say in an even greater way that those of us who have the spirit, that if this is a spirit-filled church, that this will be a singing church? Do you hear voices of people in front of you and behind you, to your left and your right? Are they singing? I want to ask you this morning, why do you sing? Is it maybe to go through the motions because that's what you've always done? Maybe you're gifted in this room and vocally you've just got some gifts and you know it. And so it's just maybe a chance in which you try to express your talents. Show off a little bit maybe. Maybe for others of you, maybe the question needs to be asked, why don't you sing? What is it that's keeping you from singing? 
I think all of us probably have struggled, no matter which side you're on, right, for improper motives of what's motivating you to sing today and others of us reasons why we don't sing. We could have a million reasons in and throughout this. But I think what Paul would say is, guys, don't miss it. There's hope. There's hope for all of our hearts. And the hope is this. It is the Holy Spirit of God who will fill us. It's the Spirit who will empower you to sing and to have joy. It's the Spirit who will purify your heart and your motives. It's the Spirit who will help you overcome the fact that you realize, man, you know what? I stink at singing, Blake. I don't want people to hear me. But the Spirit himself will say, you know what? It's really not about you anyway. It's about the fact that you're God who what he has done for you in Christ. And this is a response of being filled with the Spirit. So as Peter, or as, as Paul talks to the church here, he's compelling them. Guys, do you know why you sing? You sing because of what God has done for you. When you heard and believed the gospel, you were filled or sealed with the Holy Spirit. And now as believers, as you seek to fulfill obedience to Christ and to follow Him, the Spirit continues to fill you. It is a reflection of your spiritual condition. Do you see that? Paul is saying our singing or lack thereof of singing is a reflection of really what's happening internally in our hearts. So Paul is answering for us, why do we sing? I think the second question that he might ask us to understand from this text is, why do we sing? Or, or sorry, who do we sing to? Or who do we sing for? And, and I think the first answer is probably obvious, the Lord. But the second answer from Paul is probably going to surprise you a little bit. So let's look at it again back here being in verse 19. Paul says that we are addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Notice what he says. Singing and making melody to who? To the Lord with your heart. So, so clearly, right? God is our primary audience. When it comes time to sing, we are singing to the Lord. That's the very same thing that Paul makes in a similar passage in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to who? To God, right? So clearly, similar wording, right? Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Hear it again, psalms. Hymns, spiritual songs, similar verbiage, right? And both of them as a reminder, we are singing to the Lord. So God is our primary audience. And we're singing to Him. Why? For what He has done for us. He's our why, right? He motivates our singing, what He has done. Consider just for a moment, or as you think about singing to God, that our services here, we've intentionally tried to order them in a way that helps your and my heart focus continually upon the Lord. We hear a call to praise God through his word as Mark usually comes and shares a scripture reminding us, oh, that's why we're here. We need to, we're here to praise God. And then Brother Todd will lead us in, in times of just giving God praise. Then we stop, we pause, we acknowledge that, you know what, God's holy, but we're not. And so we pause to confess and repent of sin. And then we remind ourselves of the hope that we have. And we sing the good news that we can be forgiven in Christ. Then often we read a passage of scripture that focuses our mind again on the word and we sing another song. And then often Brother Todd's going to come and lead us in a, in a prayer of, of asking God for help and praying for certain areas and specific things. Then we pause and we come time to preach the word, giving attention to what has God said to us? How does God speaking and forming and shaping us as a body of believers, as his children? Then we offer up a prayer of thanksgiving following the sermon saying, God, thank you for your word today that you would give it, that we could hear it. 
Then we sing a song in response saying, God, we love you. This is our response of praise and thanks for what you've shown us in your word and what you have done for us in Christ. Then we have announcements and reminding us that we're on mission and we're intentional. We've got to be living this out and here's a way you can join us. And then we close with a scriptural benediction, just giving us a one last word of encouragement and hope, saying, guys, we are going in the strength of Christ. We are going in his power, his name. Why? Well, I think as it applies to singing specifically, our hope is, is that you don't show up to a song and thinking, man, I wonder why I need to sing right now. No, our hope is that we have been intentional in every single point of our service to point everything to Christ, to help your soul and my soul, the soul next to you, in front of you, and behind you, to say, this is who our God is. This is why we are singing. This is why we are praying. This is why we are confessing. It is what he has done for us. But Paul says, guys, I want you to know that it's not only God to whom you sing. It's this second one that's probably interesting. Listen to what Paul says back here in verse 19. He says that we are addressing, notice who he says, what? One another. We are addressing one another. We're singing to one another. Paul says, yes, it is ultimately yes to the Lord, first and foremost, but he says, I want you to not forget, not don't miss the fact that you, as you sing, you're not only singing to the Lord, you are singing for others around you to hear this gospel truth. You are calling out to them. Why? Because this is a way in which we fulfill Ephesians 4 and 15. Speak the truth and not one another what? In love. Guys, do you know that every week as you sing, you are ministering to those in front of you and behind you and to your left and to your right? Your voice is ministering to them. You are addressing one another. Yes, you are singing to the Lord, but in some ways you are addressing those who are around you as they hear your voice. You are compelling them. This is true. This is our only hope in life and death. Guys, we are singing. It's one of the ways in which you minister the church. It's a reminder, when you join the church, you join the choir. Now, some of you are going to be here at 345 today, right? Brother Todd, 345? Some of you are going to be here at 345, right? And maybe that's part of God's just gifted you. Maybe it's just, hey, you know what? I've got a joy in my heart. I want to come and be a part, right? But all of us, I want us to realize, listen, it's not just the people on the stage or the people here. They are just simply compelling us. They're helping to lead us. But it's not a concert, right? We don't have our lighters out being like, man, that's it. You guys just rock it out today. No, they are compelling us, urging us. Sing with me, brother. Sing with me, sister. Hear these words. This is what's happening in this moment. That's what Paul says. We are addressing one another. Consider it for a moment. Consider that young man sitting next to you struggling with sin. Imagine as he hears you sing, my sin, not in part, but the whole, was nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Contemplate for a moment that elderly grandmother sitting next to you. You have no idea the struggles that she's going through for her children and grandchildren. Her family is in upheaval. But as she stands there and looks across, she sees you, maybe a young teenage boy or teenage girl, singing these words. Though Satan should buffet, though trial should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. Do you see how you minister to her? Consider for a moment the prodigal 
who grew up in the church and has gone off and searched other wells and other wild living, and they've realized that none of those will ever satisfy. And they come back, and we see them rejoin with us, repenting and confessing Christ. And they sing the words that we sang earlier. But as I ran my hellbound race, indifferent to the cost, you looked upon my helpless state and led me to the cross. And I beheld God's love displayed. You suffered in my place. You bore the wrath reserved for me. Now all I know is grace. Consider that for a moment. As you sing, as they sing next to you, it is a moment in which we are being united. We are addressing, singing to God, yes, but we are addressing one another. Then contemplate maybe others in this crowd that maybe we often overlook. Those of us here who have yet to hear this gospel and believe on it. They're in this room even today considering, contemplating the claims of Christ and they hear you singing these words. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Search me and try me, Master, today. Whiter than snow, Lord. Wash me just now. As in thy presence, humbly I bow. You see, guys, it matters that we sing. As Brother Todd reminded me this week, it matters that we don't. It matters. You're addressing, yes, God, but also one another. Consider again how the Lord is using you. And so as I stand at the front at the end, looking out, and I see different ones of you singing, and often knowing the struggles that you are facing in your life or your family, I'm going to tell you it is a great encouragement to my soul to think, man, that brother or sister is there singing. Man, what an encouragement for all that they're walking through. But I want to be honest. When I look out at others and see you not singing week after week, I think, brother, sister, what's going on with your soul? And as a pastor, I need to be more forthright with you and just come and ask and say, brother, sister, why are you not singing? What's going on with your soul? How can I pray with you? How can I encourage you? But we ought to be singing. Guys, the truth is, and I urge us all, this is hope. Again, as another song we sing, all to Jesus I surrender. Lord, I give myself to thee. Listen to this. Fill me with your love and power. Let your blessing fall on me. Do you hear that? We're singing, God, fill me. God, help me. I'm weak, prone to wonder. Lord, I need you. That is what we are singing, beloved. So today we've seen that. Why do we sing? Because we're spirit-filled believers. Who do we sing to? We, yes, we're singing to the Lord, but Paul says we also address one another. And then third and last, I think Paul would help us ask the question, well, what do we sing? And Paul says that we sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Look what it says. Paul says we are addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. It's clear from Paul's words here that it, what are we to sing? We're to sing biblical truth. And Paul gives us maybe three categories. The first is psalms. You heard this morning Brother Todd saying Psalm 121. Right? It was a moment for you and I just to hear Okay, this is God's word to music. Do you realize that that was the psalm book Jesus had? It's the book of Psalms. So we as a church ought to be considering how can we sing them? Some of them are hard. Some of them deal with really rough things, but they're honest. So it's an opportunity for us as a church to say, can we sing the psalms? Why? Because, again, that's what Paul says. That's what the Holy Spirit inspired him to write. We are to be singing psalms. And then he says hymns. Hymns are, are simply religious songs. And then the question is spiritual songs. And there's some question of what are we to make between the difference between hymns and spiritual songs. And the reality is it's not easy. 
singer, songwriter, Matt Merker, he writes this. It's likely that spiritual songs are those that express or reflect upon what the Holy Spirit has inspired in Scripture. But I think the truth is this, that we ought to be singing a variety of songs, old and new, hymn and praise, but all of them should work together to summarize this gospel, to remind our hearts and minds, oh, that's why I'm singing. Oh, let hear that blessed truth. I mean, do you, do you leave Sunday after Sunday? I think so often I leave with like, man, a song in my heart, just like a snippet of that verse thinking, man, I needed that. Wow, that's what my soul needed to hear. I need to hear this song. Remember, our aim in worship is not to entertain, but it's to honor our king and make him known. And that's not always easy. That means sacrifice. It reminds me, I would so often get in the vehicle with dad and it was always 60s on 6. Right? You'd hear, now we return to late grade 1968. And I'm like, oh man, turn the channel, bro. Turn the channel. But I realized, man, this is his teenage years. This is what he's hearing again. And that, I share that story. Why? Because it reminds us exactly what happens in the church. When we come in this place as a church body, the reality is we are all are going to have to make sacrifices. You see, the moment that you are singing your favorite song or it's your favorite style, you know what that likely means for the person next to you? It ain't theirs. But there they are singing next to you. Why? Because it's a reminder of what the Spirit does to bring unity to the church. As we sing, we are constantly having to lay down our preferences about style or maybe our favorite song. Why? Because we realize, hey, listen, it's not about me. It's about the Lord. So I want to encourage you, when you hear a song, you think, man, that just ain't not my style, or I wouldn't have picked that one. I want to compel you, focus upon the words that we are singing and find that your soul is nourished and strengthened. I think some ways singing biblical truth is like riding a bike. Think about this for a moment. When you go to ride a bike, you, you, you pedal, right? But the pedals turn what? When you pedal, it turns... Some of you get really technical, the wheels, okay, right? I, some of you are much more, like, way beyond. Sorry, I'm, I'm really simple, right? When you turn the pedals, the wheels turn. But when the wheels turn, they, in essence, also turn the what? The pedals, right? You with me, right? They kind of work together. It's in a similar way. As we come to sing biblical truth, it's the Spirit then begins to give us life and passion and desire, and the Spirit's filling more of us. And as the Spirit fills more of us, there's a greater delight or joy in singing biblical truth. They just begin to work and, and strengthen one another. So I want to ask today, as you're here, maybe you're here and you've yet to confess Christ. Maybe if you're honest, your way of life, maybe it's not defined by drunkenness, but it does define your life in the sense that you are going your own way. Your life is lived for your own actions, desires, and thoughts. That's how you're living. The Word of God today compels us as we sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. As we are filled with the Spirit, it reminds us and calls us back to the Gospel. And the Gospel is simply this truth. If I could find it, sorry. Is that God created us in His own image, this holy and perfect God. That's how He created us. To know Him and to worship Him and to obey Him and follow Him. But the truth is the first people, Adam and Eve in the garden, they rebelled against God. And because of that, guess what? It broke fellowship with God. And they became sinners. Sinners that, guess what? In that, instead of running to God, we run away from Him. And we invest our lives in more and more brokenness. I mean, we think it'll satisfy us. That'll bring joy. But the reality is that sin never, ever leads us back to God. It leads us further and further away. But the good news of the gospel is this, that Jesus came. And guess what? He lived a life that we could never live. That's that down arrow. 
that He died on the cross, taking the judgment and the wrath of God for us. God's anger toward our sin. Christ takes it and dies in our place. He's buried in the third day. That other arrow says that He was raised again, declaring, as Paul says in Romans 1, that Jesus is King. He's King. And here's the good news of the Gospel for us who are in sin and brokenness. It's this. The Gospel calls us to turn and believe, to repent and believe. To say that my sin and brokenness will never, ever satisfy. It will never bring the joy. But God calls me to believe. Why? Because what Christ did is He lived God's design on my behalf. And He dies on the cross if He lived my sin and brokenness. That when I believe God's Christ's perfect life, His obedience to God's design is now credited to me. And the good news is now we are restored. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit to what? To live out God's design. Does that mean that we don't have times of sin and brokenness as believers? Absolutely. So what do we continue to do? We continue to repent. We continue to believe. We continue to return to Christ. And guys, so often that happens as we sing. To the church today, I think we need to contemplate the fact it's remarkable where Paul talks about the spirit-filled life taking place. He doesn't say it's in some monastery or seminary with all these spiritual people. And he doesn't say that it takes place at home alone with our Bibles. I'm not diminishing either one of those. Both of those are great and valuable and the Spirit works in those. But I think Paul is pointing to us a reminder that we need the church. So I want to compel us as you think about your life and desiring to live a more Spirit-filled life. Yes, there's absolute time alone with the Lord as we've been hearing in other sermons. But I want to remind us, guys, we need to be here worshiping alongside one another. Because we're singing to God, but we're also addressing one another. So I want to challenge you as we're here in 2022. January's about already passed. How much of uniting with this church Sunday after Sunday is that a priority for you? Paul says that it's here. Amongst the body of believers, the spirit-filled life is being fanned into flame. Additionally, this is now our third message and we've talked through, right, we've talked about read the Word, and we talked about preach the Word in there, and then we, we've talked about praying the Word and now singing the Word. I want to remind us all today as we leave that we don't sing the Word just at church any more than we just want to read the Word or pray the Word here at church. So I want to challenge you, for those of you who are in families, hopefully you're beginning to hear and see, hey, you know what, in our homes, we need to be reading the Word together, we need to be praying the Word together, we need to be singing the Word together. You say, you know what, Blake, there's no singers in our family. My guess is most of you probably had YouTube. Guess what we do? We pull up a song that has lyrics, and there it is on the screen. We can see the lyrics, and we can sing the songs. I want to challenge you. Maybe you're alone, and you live as a single or a widow or a widower. I want to compel you. Maybe it's time to call up another believer in your Sunday school class and say, let's worship together. Let's just spend some time talking through the Scriptures together, praying for one another. I want to encourage you to be singing in your home. Again, this urgency that this gospel, guys, is not to be lived just inside these walls. It is to be lived out there. Let's go live the gospel and the power of the Spirit. Not forsaking the assembly because we know that it's in this place as we sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs that we are singing and glorifying our God and Savior, but we are also addressing and compelling one another. Hold fast. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Thank you, God, that we have your truth. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to know what a spirit-filled life looks like. We don't have to guess or try to make up things on our own. 
God, we have your word that tells us and shows us. Father, I ask now for all of us in this place. We struggle to sing for different reasons. Lord, we all have our own reasons how we struggle and the way in which we struggle. Lord, I thank you that the hope that we have this morning is your Holy Spirit. Father, we ask right now that we might decrease and that you would increase. Thank you, God, that you've given us your spirit. You've not left us as orphans. Father, I ask now that your spirit would invigorate and empower. It would give boldness to the timid. It would give courage to those who hear their own voice and think it sounds terrible. It would humble those who sing and think, I hope other people can hear how good I sound. It would bring purity to us when our hearts and our minds aren't really focused on the words or we're just going through the motions. It would cause us focus in, contemplate anew the Savior and His words. Thank you, God, that we have this time to study and hear our call to sing biblical truth, to sing the Word in the power of the Spirit. I pray that this for your glory. Amen.